Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter, follow L-E-T Radio Show P-O-1. On Instagram, follow L-E-T Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Hope to see you online soon. Calling us from the Pensacola, Florida area, we have Ed Hudson on the phone. Ed, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Thank you, Jay. This is a great opportunity for me, and I, I, I'm really impressed with your show. I, I tell you, it's it's something that we, we need to hear more about. All right. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you here. Ed is a retired law enforcement officer from FDLE. If you don't know what that is, we'll explain that in a moment. He's also author of the book, As a Crow Flies, Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler. Before we get into the conversation of your story, where can people get more information about the book and maybe buy it? Well, Jay, it's available on Amazon right now. You just You can just... Type in, as the crow flies, the redemption of an international drug smuggler. It'll take you right to it. It's $15. Or you can go to just about any bookstore and order it. Uh, you probably won't find it on the shelves, but but you can order it from the gotcha. bookstore just about. I did the easy way, the lazy way. I did a Google search. I put in, as the crow flies, and Ed Hudson. And guess what? Voila, the book came up number one. It's very easy. That does it. That does it, yeah. The book is basically about, the title says it all, The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler, and that's a big part of your story we're going to be talking about today. Uh, before we do that, what exactly, I'm, I'm not alone, I know there's lots of people out there go, I don't even know what an FDLE is, what is that? Okay, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement is the state investigative agency for, for Florida, and uh, you know, we wear many hats, uh, we're charged with protecting the governor we do investigations that are are multi-jurisdictional and and uh have you know multiple defendants in them and and they also have the state crime lab uh the the, uh there's there's just a number of things that they do uh that that they're known well known but they're not part of the state police well, there's not really a state police. Highway there's patrol. The high, there's the highway patrol. Then there's, you know, uh, there's the uh, Florida beverage people. And, you know, there's a number of, of agencies that have law enforcement powers in the state of Florida. But uh, we're, we're the main investigative agency. One of the guests, uh, maybe you can answer this for me. Uh, the best way I can describe my limited knowledge of FDLE is uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement is like the state 
version of FBI. That's the way that it is compared a lot of times. That's, right. We we like to think we're better than the FBI, but then who does? Yeah, well, I'm not going to get into that conversation. As a Baltimore police, we swore we were better than the FBI, and we were right. <laughs> Anyhow, we, we had great camaraderie between us and the federal investigators, federal law enforcement agencies, the state police, also the county police. We called each other names. We teased each other relentlessly, but we always had each other's backs, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Well, and I hope it doesn't. I, I really, I, I've seen pockets where each, where an agency would think it's an island and they just did not do well. It, it takes cooperation of everybody to, to get the job done. When I think of your story, which we're going to start talking about in just a moment, I get glimpses of movies and television shows like Miami Vice from back in the day. Uh, where we're going after not street rips, not street level dealers so much as the importers, the exporters, and the kingpins. Uh, is that a fair assessment of your career? Well, that's that's what we tried to do. We we tried to focus on the larger, the larger picture mostly. You'd mentioned those Miami Vice and all. That. I mean, there's been movies made of drug smuggling, like like The Life of Barry Seal. Uh, the movie American made, and, and then there was another one called Double Crossed. And and when you read the first part of my book, it is you just think that you're reading another smuggling story. That's that's pretty much what you've got. And and I tell you, smuggling stories are good. They're exciting. They are. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the smugglers are very colorful characters. They're not boring people. Oh, that, that is the great thing about this story. This, this book is full of good characters. I mean, well, good bad characters and good good characters. They're just, it's just full of, of, of characters that, that, that really bring, bring the story to life. One of the things, and I'm also located in Florida. I'm down in southeast of Florida. And when we have a unique situation with drug smugglers, especially those using boats, and they'll bring in large amounts of narcotics in boats, in speed boats. And quite often when they're about to get intercepted, they'll start throwing bales off the sides. doesn't matter what it is. It could be kilos of cocaine. It could be marijuana. And they'll float up on the beach, and we call those square groupers. So for those listening in other parts of the United States or around the world, it might be different for you. It may not. This may seem like Hollywood fiction, what we're talking about, but it's not. No, no, it is, it is real. We we we've had kilos of cocaine wash up on Pensacola Beach. That that's kind of a occurrence that occurred that like an every year thing, an annual thing. That, and I don't know exactly what what the cause of it is or anything, but. But uh, ours have been kilos of cocaine. There's been a few bales of mar- marijuana. Absolutely. Things, but, uh, <laughs> I've had the pleasure of having on the show. I've had uh, retired DEA agents, uh, Javier Pena and Steve Murphy, who were the characters who started the whole hunt for Pablo Escobar in the television series Narcos. Uh, fascinating men, fascinating story. And the thing I find equally fascinating about this is you do the same things, but you do it inside the country in your state. Right, right. It, it's it. Florida is kind of unique to a lot of you know most all the other states. We got such a 
a, a big border of water in, in so many different ways for it to come in and all. And it's, it's been a source for, for narcotics for, for years. Uh, how long was your career in uh, law enforcement from start to finish? Well, I started in 1980 with the Century Police Department, little old bitty small town where Freddie Crow grew up. I worked there for a year, and then I got hired at my dream job, the Scandy County Sheriff's Office. I worked there for 12 years. Uh, the last three were in narcotics investigation. I began to see that there was more to it. That's when I applied and got hired with the uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement in 1993, and I worked there until 2014, so it's a total of 34 years. Well, thank you very much for your service. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? Well, we're all busy, but there's something very simple you can do with Facebook. When you see a post that you agree with, that you like, share it to your page. It's just that simple. Think of it this way. Facebook has about 2 billion registered users worldwide, so you can make a difference. And one of the best places to find great posts about law enforcement our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. And when you see posts that you like, you agree with, especially episodes of the radio show and podcast, be sure to share it on your social media. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We are talking with Ed Hudson. Ed is retired law enforcement officer from Florida Department of Law Enforcement, also author of the book, As a Crow Flies, The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Ed Hudson. Ed is a retired law enforcement officer. Did a retired from Florida Department of Law Enforcement. He's been county. He's been local police. And Florida Department of Law Enforcement is an interesting organization. They do a lot of things that a lot of people don't realize. And we'll talk about some of that in a moment. He's also author of the book As the Crow Flies: The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler, uh, available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Is this book, As the Crow Flies, is this based on a true story from your own experience? It is. It's based on the true story, and it's based on the life of a, of a guy named Freddie Crow, who was an international drug smuggler. And how did you get involved with Eddie Crow in the investigation? I got involved mainly because of where I worked in patrol with the Escambia County Sheriff's Office. I worked in the city, in the north end of the county, where Freddie grew up and where he lived. And I had a lot of information on the different people that he was had in his organization in, in the bringing in of the marijuana. So I transferred to the narcotics division in 1990. And that's when I was approached to assist with the investigation, but just because of my knowledge of the area and the, and the people involved in the investigation. It's kind of very, sounds very familiar. In my career, I was a street cop in uniform. My specialty in my area was uh, very violent Jamaican drug organizations. And the DEA approached me and said, hey, we could use some help. Uh, you, you know our, our players. 
uh, and I spent some time in narcotics as well. The funny thing is, a lot of people don't realize that uniform street cops, and I use that term as a term of endearment, uh, develop a lot of this information that leads to big investigations and big arrests. Absolutely, and, and, and to back that up, a lot of the federal agents that I worked with always referred to the uniform cop as the real cops. I agree 100%. Here's the reason why, and we'll get back to this conversation in a minute. When anyone dials 911 in the United States of America and have an emergency, from a medical emergency to a crime in progress to a quality of living situation, it's the street cops that show up. They handle everything from soup to nuts. And when we have horrible homicides and, and, and violent attacks, they're the first ones on the scene. When you have terror attacks, they're the first one on the scene. When you have big drug problems, they're the, they see about it every day and they develop the sources and that information goes up the hill. A lot of the big investigators get the credit. They do a lot of the, the, the grind work that the uniform guys can't, but I don't think they get very far without them. Oh, I, I don't think they would either because they provide the pieces of the puzzle. Now, the investigator puts the pieces together, but you wouldn't have a puzzle if it wasn't for the pieces. That's, that's exactly right. So you're a uniform cop, and you're outside of Pensacola in Escambia County. Right, right. I, I was for uh, for nine years, I guess. And how did you wind up getting information on Freddie Crow? I did. Century is a very small town, and I got to say, Freddie was, I'd never heard of him until I started to work at the Century Police Department, which was my very first job, and, and I was there for a year, but it didn't take me long to hear about him, because he was just a well-known character, I, and and a lot of it was talk about him smuggling drugs, but a great deal of it was talk about his airplane piloting. He was, he was phenomenal. He was... He was a, a just a, a, like a daredevil in an airplane, and, and that, that was a lot of talk. And a lot of the stories that, that were told to me back then, I got the opportunity to question him about and found out that, you know, they weren't really true. They had been sort of added to, which, you know, that happens with legends. But the real stories were actually better than the ones made up. Truth is often stranger in fiction and quite often much more fascinating. Absolutely. So another thing, a misconception, I think the stereotype you're busting here is small town police. They People have a perception in their mind that they don't do and they don't know and they're not up to the task that the city police are or the counties. Well, you know, I just have to, to argue with that one because they... They get a lot of information. Now, unfortunately, that information doesn't always get passed along. But I, I can tell you that whenever, whenever the feds came to Century when I was working at the sheriff's office, or, or if, or even FDLE when they came to to Century working on a case, they came to the sheriff's office because they needed to know what we knew. And that right there is the essence of, people love this term, community policing. And by the way, I started the same time you did in 1980. And that's all we knew. We didn't know anything other than that. Uh, We were taught when I was given a post in an area to work, I was responsible for that post. I was responsible for the amount of 
commercial burglaries that happened there, armed robberies. I, I need to know who the good people were, who the bad guys were. I needed to know where they lived. If a guy took off running, I, I could quite often meet him on his front porch later on that evening. And that seems absolutely. to be the same case with you guys, especially in the smaller agencies. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because while you know the information flows pretty free inside the city, they're pretty pretty hush mouth about talking to somebody outside of the city so a lot of times you need that local cop to to be able to break that barrier talking with the community and and getting information developing informants because you know they don't always trust people from outside of the city they develop a relationship with you the the local street cop right and right. with that comes teasing, kidding, and we had nicknames, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I, I think Hollywood does a horrible job portraying the realities of what our street police in, in, in America do. How big of a city? What's the total population of a century? Uh, I'm not sure about the population. I'll give you the size. It's uh, three miles long and one mile wide, and it's very sparse. So that's about the size of Key West, Florida. Uh, it's not a huge area by any stretch of the imagination, but it doesn't sound like it's as populated. You're talking maybe 30,000, 40,000 people? No, it, it's not near as, as populated. It's uh, Key West is, is, is much more populated. So it's a small area, and Escambia County, which is outside of Pensacola, that's actually a, a rather large area, isn't it? Escambia County is a pretty good-sized county, and the the area that I worked in patrol, though, was all rural. It's farmland, pine trees, you know, it, it's sparsely populated. It was uh, kind of rolling hills a little bit, and, and it's a lot like all the other counties in the panhandle of Florida. In the, in the north end, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty sparse. We're talking with Ed Hudson, retired law enforcement officer from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and author of the book, As a Crow Flies, The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler. When we return, we're going to talk about the drug smuggling, his investigation. It involves airplanes and so much more. Catch all the episodes of Law Enforcement Today show as a podcast for free. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast or just go to letradioshow.com click the Be Heard tab and you'll find us right there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation. Call the Debt Helpline now. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389. 800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. Back to our conversation with Ed Hudson, retired law enforcement officer from Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and also author of the book, As the Crow Flies, The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler. Basically, we're talking about a guy uh, that was from rural parts of, of northwest Florida, the Pensacola area, and he was a, a big-time drug smuggler. Yes, uh, he, he was uh, the largest that we had in the area. 
What was he doing? What was his his mo? His his drug was marijuana, and he he started off early in in life. I guess nineteen seventy five was his first arrest. He was hauling in like uh, two hundred fifty pounds of marijuana in the trunk of his car from Texas, and he got popped and went off to federal prison. Uh, when he got out, he started using his airplane, and he would fly to Texas and and put marijuana in golf bags. And then when he got off, he just towed his golf bag off to the airplane at the airport, just like any other golfer would, and took it home and sold marijuana. But uh, but then he, uh, after his arrest there in, in federal prison, he wound up getting arrested a couple more times, and his his younger sister, Tricia, married a Alabama state trooper, and he turned him in for growing marijuana. That's something that a lot of traffickers often do. They'll they think that they can grow their marijuana and won't be won't have to spend a hundred dollars a pound for it, and they'll sell it for the same amount. So, but uh, Freddie went away for that too. After he uh, went to prison for that, he wound up getting indicted for uh, another smuggling operation he was doing. He was flying an airplane out to. Uh, I think the Bahamas, I think, but uh, it was for a Central Florida drug operation. But he got indicted for that. As I said earlier, it's, the book is full of characters, and, and one of them is uh, with the Oak Ridge Boys. He was a good friend of the Crow family, and uh, he was decided he'd go see Freddie in prison while he was there. So he walks in, they cleared a yard out for him, and Freddie's sitting at a picnic table there in the yard, in the prison yard, and, and goes walking in there like he owns the place, and he, he sits down at the picnic table, and they start having a conversation, and then before you know it, he's done reached in his coat pocket, pulled out a marijuana joint, and they start smoking a marijuana joint there on the prison ground. Freddie told me, he said, he looked at him, he said, are you trying to get in here too? <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but it, it's, it was kind of funny. But And the Oak Ridge Boys, that's I, the, the the musical act. Yeah. You're bringing yeah, back a lot of a, memories. He, he, was a, he was a family friend of the Crows for, for a long time but uh, and, and still remained a friend of Freddie's till the end. But, but uh when he went, when Freddie went back to federal prison for his violation, he met a guy named Billy Deacle. Now, Billy Deacle was an interesting character in himself because Billy, his great grandfather, was a judge. His grandfather was a sheriff. His father was a major in the Florida Department of Corrections. His sister worked for the Florida Department of Corrections. His brother is George R. Deacle Sr. And he is the last prosecutor for Ted Bundy. He's the one that sent him to the electric chair. Wow. So so Billy was real good at what he did, too, but it just wasn't doing the same thing all the rest of his family was doing. His whole family's in law enforcement on the good side of the streets, so, so they say. And what was Billy doing? If Billy was flying in loads of marijuana. That, that, that was his occupation. He'd been caught a few times. And he wound up in federal prison. But uh, that's where Freddie and Billy met. And when they get out, they hook up with a guy named Glenn Monroe. Now, Glenn Monroe's an interesting character because he was smuggling by the age of 15, going to the Bahamas 
in in a boat bringing back marijuana. But he had he's done it probably done a hundred loads. He had he was uh, he'd done it by airdrops where they just dropped the bales out of, out in an open field. The one that really uh, messed him up was he had a sailboat load. And one of the vehicles that took part of the load off got knocked off. And then people from that conspiracy began to get knocked off. And that's when Glenn got knocked off. But before that happened, Billy and Glenn knew each other. And they started an enterprise where they go down to Belize, Central America. And they meet a guy named uh, Johnny Crawford. And uh, they would haul back anywhere that... Billy or Freddie, or sometimes they would go together if they had a twin-engine plane. But uh, they they would haul back anywhere from 650 to 1,200 pounds. That's, that's, that's quite a bit, because these small planes, I'm no expert, but you can have uh, the maximum weight limit is not great on these things. So between fuel, uh, the contraband they're carrying, and the passengers, they're probably right at the upper limit, weren't they? Well... In, in order to do that, they would take all the seats out. There would be a bladder tank, probably sometimes in the floor, sometimes in the wingtips for the extended flight. But they would uh, remove all the seats, and if, if it was a Cessna, they'd even take out the co-pilot seat, and they'd stack marijuana from the back all the way up to the front, even some up on the dash. And then to come back, when they get about 200 miles out from shore, they had to get down so low on the waves of the Gulf of Mexico that sea spray would cause salt to collect on the windshield. And they had to do that to, in order to get under the radar. So that's how they had to enter back into the country. And they were doing this in planes that sometimes they bought, sometimes they stole, sometimes they borrowed, and, and sometimes you'll read about they crashed. I'm sitting here fascinated because, well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big fan of flying. I, I don't, I'm not one of these guys who gets creeped out or scared on, on a commercial jet. Takeoff, I love. Landing, I'm like, uh, I don't like other people to drive me in the car. I don't like my wife driving me in the car. So I, I'm a bit of a control freak. And if I can't see the land coming, it freaks me out. So for they're flying and they're getting sea salt on the windshield. I don't know right. how they get the nerve to do that. And we're not talking for, for 10 minutes. We're talking for a long time. We're, we're talking 200 miles. Right. So so it's, uh, it's not something, you know, Freddie began his flying career as a crop duster. And you, you have to get down low on the crops in order to fly and, uh, and spray the crops. But the crops don't don't rise and fall like waves right exactly and i think the the crops might be just a little bit more forgiving if you clip a a corn stalk with a wing you might be okay a couple times absolutely you clip a a, a saltwater wave with a wing it might be game over for you pretty quick we are talking with ed hudson ed is retired law enforcement officer 34 years in law enforcement he retired from the florida department of law enforcement he's also author of the book as a crow flies the redemption of an international drug smuggler one of the most frequent questions we see is where can i find great podcasts do you have any suggestions yes we do so we decided to start our own podcast network on law enforcement today that's right you can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app Go to letradioshow.com, 
Click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. When we return, we're going to start talking about the investigation that took down these drug smugglers and his partners. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Ed Hudson on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Calling us from outside of Pensacola, Florida. He is a retired law enforcement officer from Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Also author of the book, As a Crow Flies, The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler. Go to Amazon and do a Google search for As a Crow Flies, Ed Hudson, and you'll find it uh, very easily. That's what I did. Before we the break, Ed, you're talking about uh, these drug smugglers. That in your career in the FDLE, well, actually, you started going after them, acquiring information about them when you are a patrol officer in Escambia County. And then you transitioned to FDLE. When did your involvement with these international drug smugglers really take off? Well, I was I was still working at the sheriff's office. I had just transferred to the narcotics division in 1990. They had been doing this conspiracy with these people since 1986. Billy Deacle had been indicted for like three years and Little did we know, but Freddie had been indicted also, but it had been under the name Rambo because in the first very beginning, Freddie told Billy he didn't want to meet anybody. He didn't want anybody to know who he was. And so he would dress up with camouflage paint on his face, and he wore a scalper knife on his side and wore fatigues, and... He didn't tell anybody what his name was, but everybody gave him the name Rambo. That's what they referred to him as. So Rambo was indicted along with Billy Deacle for three years, and they couldn't find Billy and didn't know for sure who Rambo was. Special Agent Charlie Gravatt with DEA and Special Agent Ron Chambers with uh, U.S. Customs were working on the case diligently and, and building information and were able to obtain some information on what vehicle Billy uh, Deacon would be driving in. And we also talked with an informant that sort of gave us a little bit of an idea of what the uh, what the movements of that, that group was and where they liked to meet at and what restaurants they went to and stuff. So, so I uh, had the fortune to uh, come across Billy Deacon using some of that information and we I called the uh, narcotics unit, and together we 
arrested Billy Deacle. Inside his car was full of information. There was a logbook and just two-way radios, uh, just a ton of coins because they all used pay phones. They wouldn't use anything else but pay phones. Mm -hmm. It was just... uh, just loaded with information, and from that, we were able to develop the information that that uh, Freddie Crow was Rambo, and Freddie got arrested. Now, Freddie and Billy were both looking at life sentences. Billy chose to take his lumps and 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 try to fight it down the road. Freddie, the night he was arrested, made the decision to turn his life around. He uh, he knew that he what he was doing was wrong. Uh, he had an older sister named Bobby that had gave him a very good upbringing. She did, did a lot to help raise him and, and uh, made sure that he had a Christian foundation. And so he, he was well aware that what he was doing was wrong, and he, he just decided he would cooperate with the investigation and do what he could and, and start trying to, to make his way back. Uh, and that's what he did, and his his uh, his cooperation was substantial. Uh, he was uh, highly praised by the the prosecutor Randy Hensel and and by Charlie Gravatt at his sentencing, and he wound up with ten years as opposed to uh, a uh, a life sentence. How old was he when this happened? Had to be in his forties. Gotcha. So uh, ten years is still a long stretch. I don't want anybody to get the idea that that's uh, a walk in the park. But compared to life oh. in prison, that's a, a totally different scenario. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And here's I the thing. The I, I've never met anybody in the drug game that eventually, with enough pressure and charges, when I say pressure meaning charges, that didn't flip and give information. It's what you see on television of the the hardcore criminals. They, they, very few exist. But you've got to have the charges. You've got to have a real case against them. If it's a flim-flam case, they're not going to cooperate at all. Oh, no. No, it, but but the case was rock solid against Billy Deacon. He was just he was just determined not to not to cooperate. And he, did he get life? He got two life sentences, as it turned out. No, it's um, a shame for him. But that's part of the that's what we used to call the game in Baltimore. That's right. part of the game. You knew that if you got caught, that you could wind up getting. And most of our interactions with drug dealers were not violent. Uh, the vast majority were not. It, it was all part of the game. Uh, sometimes it won, sometimes it didn't. And the really good ones, they never got involved. You never got, you never caught them with it. One of the things that I find fascinating about what you did is when we did investigations in Baltimore, they're street investigations. So I would do a surveillance on someone, sit outside their house, that you couldn't see me. And if they started moving, I could be following them and the team for 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 14 hours. When your guys got in a plane and took off, you're not following them. Right. I, I, how do you make a case when, okay, you, you document the guy took off at a certain time and he flew back at a certain time? Well, they they did it mostly through testimony. Well, gotcha. well, actually, actually, Billy had a log that was pretty complete. Of of the number of the loads that they did, they were they were flying about every other month, and they were making a good deal of money too. So much that they were uh, Freddie was burying it in plastic pipe in the woods and, and stuff. It, uh, and uh, that that was uh, one of the big disappointments that he faced whenever he got out because we had two hurricanes while he was in prison. The landscape changed. 
and there is money still buried around Century somewhere. I'm going to go digging. Find. I'm going to bring a shovel, and I'm going to spend a weekend up there and strike a rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm I've not heard alone. That a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, I do remember the movie, I think it was American Made, and they talked about how this small town wound up becoming a banking hub because of all the money they did and the car dealers. And uh, but that's another story for another day. So right. you guys became friends. Well, what, what happened was I had an opportunity to sit down and interview him several times while, after he got arrested. And then when he went off to prison, I got hired by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And my very first case was Freddie's cocaine dealer. So I brought him back out of prison and he testified against him. Uh, I took him back to Eglin where he was being housed after the trial was over with. And we had a long conversation about, you know, needing to change his life. And and uh, I even told him, I said, Freddie, you're going to be sitting around with nothing to do. Why don't you write a book? And uh, so it when, whenever he got out of the car, he asked me, he said, is it all right if I call you for prison? And I said, sure, you can call me. I thought that'd be a great idea, have somebody in prison calling me that might pick up on something. He did. He continued to call me. And then when he got out, he came to see me. And he, he wasn't just me. He went to see Randy Hensel, the prosecutor, and Charlie Gravatt, and and just a number of people. Because what 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 he had decided to do was change his life. And part of that required getting forgiveness. And he, he sought forgiveness from his family and from from his friends. He sought forgiveness from his country by because he later on became a, a confidential source for me wow. at FDLE. He really uh, changed his life and turned it all around, didn't he? Hey, absolutely. And it, and it wasn't just for, for it wasn't for, for active cases, but for historical information that there was a number of agencies, including Homeland Security, that came in and interviewed him because they they were just wanted to know what he knew. You can get more and, details about this and Ed's book, As the Crow Flies, The Redemption of an International Drug Smuggler. It sounds like a fascinating story. Before we run out of time, where can people get the book? They can get the book on Amazon or they can order it at pretty much any bookstore. Uh, it's probably not going to be on the shelf, but, but you can order it there and it sounds to me like it should be a movie well you know i think it would make a good movie uh it's it'd be a kind of a sad ending because freddie gets cancer and passes away in 2016 uh so i was left to write the book his family asked me to i want to thank you for your service thank you for telling the story and by the way if we have some film people out there who want to make this in movie or television series or whatever contact me and i'll get you hooked up with ed hudson ed thanks so much for being a guest on the law enforcement a show very much appreciated thank you so much jay and you just keep on beating the drum okay i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today show another great guest in your way next week don't miss it until then this is john j wiley see ya